I was 45 minutes away from not getting my doctorate degree. And that's actually one of two times that I nearly got kicked out of grad school. I'm going to tell you that whole story today and some of the lessons that I learned along the way. Some of these lessons are cautionary, meaning don't do what I did. Some are advisory. I think I did uh, gain a lot of good wisdom and perspective from those uh, experiences, terrible as they were at the time. But I'm just going to walk you through that whole saga of my life. It's an entertaining ride. I'll promise you that much. And at the end, I'm going to tell you my four biggest takeaways from those experiences and how I've used them to get from that low point in my life to where I'm at right now. So the first time I almost got kicked out of grad school is actually the less dramatic of the two, but I'm still going to tell you that story as well because it's important background. When you're trying to get a doctorate degree in clinical psychology, one of the things you have to do is something called a dissertation, which is basically your own individual research project. It is typically a very, very long process. You're advised to start your dissertation probably within the first year you start the program. Most doctorate programs are four to five years long, and many people finish everything but the dissertation. Like it's the last thing holding them back. They finish their internships, they finish their coursework, they just got to finish this paper, which is typically somewhere between 45 and 100 pages long, sometimes more. I was a good student in, in that regard. I started my dissertation within a few weeks, I think, of starting my doctoral program. I worked very hard on it for the first two years of my program. Got my entire lit review done, which is probably a third of it. So I was decently on course. Started my internship, started a second internship, got hired at both agencies, and basically ended up having two jobs, one of which had two locations. So I was working in three different places throughout the week, well taking a full-time workload in my doctorate program. Not advisable. We will come back to that later. But essentially what happened is I took about a year off from working on my dissertation and spoiler alert, didn't totally remember where I left off. So one of the steps that you have to complete when you go from finishing your literature review, which I had done, to starting to collect data, because remember, this is a research study. I'm working with actual human beings and like gathering data from them you have to go through something called IRB approval. And IRB is basically like your ethics board that makes sure you're not doing some of the really weird messed up studies that people used to do in the past. Like that you're not, your study's not gonna hurt anybody basically. So I pare down my three internships to one. I pick a job, I stick with it. And I finally have enough time to get back to working on my dissertation. And I start collecting data. And I collect my data, I analyze my data, I review and, and, and um, what's the phrase, edit my paper. And like my paper is basically done. I have my chairperson has signed off on the paper. Two out of three people have signed off on the paper. I am within days from being done with the biggest project of my doctorate degree. I'm also about to start my pre-doctoral internship. I had matched with a site that I was incredibly excited about. They were my second choice. It was this awesome private practice in downtown St. Paul where I had a bunch of friends working there. And it was in this really cool office building with this like breakfast bar. I mean, it was like I was finally getting to the phase of my career where I feel like a professional. And about a month before I start my pre-doctoral internship, I get an email from um, the chairperson for my doctoral program saying, we can't find your IRB approval. Can you please send it to us? And I'm like, yeah, sure. No problem. Look on my laptop, look in all my normal like file places. Can't find it. 
And I remember you know, sometime in the last year, I bought a new laptop. It's probably on my old one. Go in my closet, dig through, power it up. Can't find it. And then I just got this sinking feeling. I was like, why do I not remember applying for IRB approval? Like, I don't remember. I know I was busy, but I don't remember anything about that whole process. That's kind of weird. And that's when I realized I didn't do it. I, I never submitted my paper for IRB approval, which meant that I had done all this stuff um, unethically, basically. Now, my study was about the most harmless study you can imagine. It was literally a survey about people working out. Um, so I, I certainly didn't cause any harm to anybody. But I collected data unethically because I didn't have IRB approval. And once I acknowledged that to the board in my program, they told me, we don't know what we're going to do here because this has never happened in the history of the program. So I managed to screw something up so badly in a way that no one before me had ever quite managed to do. And so they were very upfront with me, like from the beginning, we're like, we, we don't know what the outcome of this is going to be. And they, I remember them telling me, this is the kind of phrasing you don't forget. They said, right now, everything is on the table. This could be anywhere from like, you made a silly mistake. Don't ever do anything like this again. We're going to let it go to like, you're going to get kicked out of the program. And I had several meetings with administrative people to explain like what happened and why it happened. And, and basically like told them, just got so busy that I just completely overlooked this and I'm sorry. And it's my fault. Um, and so what they ended up deciding upon, they kind of landed in the middle of the extremes they had proposed to me. And they said, we're going to allow you to continue in the program, which obviously was good news. Um, but you're going to have to start over on your dissertation, which was actually devastating for two reasons. Reason number one is it meant the last four years that I'd spent on this and however many hours were, were void and completely gone. And I now had one year to do a thing that normally takes four years. But the, the worst part about it is you can't start your pre-doctoral internship until your paper has IRB approval. And that was a month out. You cannot get IRB approval in a month. So that meant I had to call up this internship site who had accepted me, who I was super excited to work at and tell them, I can't be your intern this year because I screwed up horribly. Um, I can't take an internship this year. And I have to, my, basically my entire career got delayed by a year and I had to redo a massive paper, not even redo. I had to, I had to make a new one from scratch, like on a different topic. I don't think I had to do one on a different topic, but at that point I was so frustrated. I'm like, I can't write the same paper twice. So I'm going to, I'm, I'm just going to start over. So that year of my life, I continued to work at the job that I was at full time. I worked on this paper full time somewhere in there. Our son was born as well. So this was a pretty crazy year of my life. That what I just told you about is the less crazy of the two stories you're about to hear. So here's the really crazy one. So I finish this paper. I get this paper up to the IRB approval stage where it's supposed to be in 11 months, which is inhuman, just so you know. For someone with a job and a kid, I, I, I honestly don't remember how I did that. I barely remember anything about this year of my life. It's such a crazy blur. So I submit it for IRB approval a month before 
my internship is supposed to start. This is now a different internship site. This is a year later. Everything's been redone, right? There's so much more I could say about this, but I'm just I'm just giving you the low lights, as it were. And so I've submitted it. I'm working. I'm applying for my internships. I'm like, gosh, that was just a crazy chapter in my life that I can't wait to close. And more and more days are going by, and I'm not hearing from the IRB with my approval. And I'm starting to get nervous at this point. And I start emailing them pretty regularly, like, hey, what's what's going on, guys? What how's the paper going? I'm good, right? And like, no answer. Hearing nothing. And these are not people I can access in person. This is my only my only channel to communicating with them. Okay. So I finally hear back from them a week before my internship is supposed to start. And the email says, Scott, we have reviewed your paper. It needs a massive amount of revisions. You will not be able to complete these revisions by the time your internship is going to start. You will have to wait another year to do it again. But then they mentioned that since it's the second year, like you can't just do this indefinitely. You already got delayed by a year. So basically, I'm done was essentially like the message that I was receiving. Like this is this is the end of the road for you. Now, let me give you a little aside here. In a lot of colleges, if you're going to undergrad, so undergrad means like you're getting an associate's degree or a bachelor's degree, right? Many programs are very similar. And if you ended up having to change schools or change programs while you're working on an undergraduate degree, it's usually not that big of a deal. Like let's, if I started getting my bachelor's in psychology at like the University of Iowa, and I transferred to the University of Michigan, that's probably a pretty seamless transfer because these are highly regimented generalist programs. When you get to master's degrees and doctorate degrees, the programs are so unique that you typically cannot transfer like any credits at all. Maybe a year's worth tops for a five-year program. I am like 29 years old at this point and I'm still in school. Don't really ha I have a job. I think I'm making 10, 12 an hour, maybe facilitating IOPs because I'm not licensed, which is a whole other story that's not the focus of today. So at this point, I'm like, am I done? Like, was all this for nothing? Is my career over? Because if I can't finish this program, I can't just transfer to another program and be in my last year. I'd have to start over. And not even to mention the cost of these programs. Like, we're talking being in school till you're 35, paying probably half a million dollars and redoing four or five years of work that you just did. So I'm like, I, I'm screwed. I'm I'm just done. But then I'm at this moment, though, where I thought, I wonder what they mean by too much work to do in in this time frame. So I composed myself. I, I hadn't communicated with these people at all because I'm like, I, I'm in the middle of work, by the way. I actually, I distinctly remember I had a therapy session with somebody like five minutes after I got that email. And I remember it was one of the best therapy sessions of my life because I was doing everything in my power to not think about what I just read. And I have never been more focused on somebody else's story than I was that day, which is anyway. So after my therapy session's over and I've had a little bit of time to compose myself, I email them back and I say, can you please send the revisions to me anyway? I know you said it's not possible. There's no way I'm going to be able to do it, but can you just send them to me? I finally received them the day before my internship was supposed to start. 
And I got them at like 10 a.m., I think. And again, I'm working full time. So I, I have like a nine to five job at this point. But I looked at these revisions. I looked through this whole like 45 page paper. And my first thought after looking at all of it was, that's not that bad. Like, I didn't understand why they were telling me, you're not going to be able to do this in a week. Because I'm, I'm down to like less than a day at this point. And I'm looking at this and I'm like, I think I can do this. Now, they they have already told me I'm not allowed. Like, they basically said it's done. And so I essentially just take a leap of faith at this point. And after work, I work... I'm a crazy person, you guys. I work my whole normal day like I would anyway. Get home at like four or five and I'm telling my wife all this stuff. I'm like, hey, you're not going to have any help with our son tonight. I'm sorry. Like, this is the situation. I'm going to try to do it all tonight. I'm going to try to do the revisions they said I couldn't do in a week in like a few hours. So I get home. I do everything that I can possibly do. I don't remember exactly what time I finished. I want to say it was like 2 a.m. maybe. Now, keep in mind, the deadline is noon. That well, I was going to say the next day, but technically that day. So I finished what I thought was it about 10 hours before the deadline. I go into school the next day and I knew, I, I can't remember how I figured this out, but I knew who was reviewing it. She was a professor I'd had before. I knew, I, I knew her. I was waiting outside of her office at 8 a.m., like lurking like a creeper. I think she knew why I was there. And I hand, I had printed everything out. I had printed all my revisions out. And I hand her this entire stack of papers. And I said, I know that you have a class this morning. And I know you probably don't have time for this. But I made every single revision you told me to make. And, and this needs to be approved by noon. I know that I'm asking a ridiculous thing of you. I don't completely know how we ended up here. But I will be in the library if you need me. And, and I don't remember what she said, but she basically said, I'm nuts. So I hand it to her. I go to the library and I do everything I can do to not think about what just happened and to not panic. And I don't remember how I did that. I mean, I probably did panic. I remember at 1030. Remember, deadline's at noon. 1030. She sends me an email and it says, I don't know how you did that. You've pretty much fixed everything. There's a couple more revisions. Get them back to me ASAP. I obviously do it instantaneously. Send the paper back to her. And at 11.15 a.m., 45 minutes before the deadline, I get another email from her saying, you're good. You're good. You're approved. You can, you can start your internship today. And I did. And that's how I came 45 minutes away from not being here. I don't know what I'd be doing. I don't know where I'd be. I don't think I would have done five more years of psychology in a different program. I, I think I would have chosen a different career path at that point. 45 minutes away. What did I learn from this experience? Four things that stand out to me. The first is trying to go too fast and slow you down. I was basically trying to speed run grad school. And that's why I was doing all these things at the same time, working all these jobs while I'm in class, while I'm working on my paper, while I'm also trying to build a family. It wasn't a good idea. And, and I, there were a few things that happened within the department and within the school where I'm like, how did you guys not like notice this? But 
I am going to say that I take 95% of the blame for what happened there because I was overworked and that was my fault. And I was sick of being in my late twenties and seeing my friends have jobs and families and houses. And my whole life felt like it was on hold. And I was just trying to rush. I was doing way too much. And because I tried to go faster than basically the laws of physics would allow me to, I ended up losing two years. Well, actually, that's no, not true. I lost a year. Um, my entire process got set back by a year. Had I paced myself and gone at normal speed, I actually would have finished sooner than what ended up happening because I tried to go so quickly. So that was definitely one learning experience is if you try to go fast, if you try to exceed your limitations, like of, of how fast you can do something, it will become you know, paradoxical and will eventually slow you down or grind you to a halt. So know your limits and don't push on them too hard. Second thing I learned, never let someone else tell you what's possible for you. I know I just said don't go too fast. And then my story ends with me doing something in a ridiculous time frame that shouldn't have been possible. So I know that might seem contradictory, but if I had just imagine if I had just taken the IRB's word for it when they said you will not be able to complete this paper in the time frame. If I had just said, okay, I'm not here. Like, I mean, I, I'm probably not, not 100% sure. No, I had a kid by then. So that's not true. But like, I, I don't know where my life would be right now if I had accepted the limitation that they placed on me because they told me I couldn't do it. And I said, can I see? Like, can, can I assess that for myself, please? Because at the risk of sounding like full of myself, like you don't know me. You don't know who I am. You don't know how I write. You don't know how fast I work. How do you know what I can do in this time frame? What's funny is they couldn't, they told me I couldn't do it in a week. I ended up doing it in like nine hours. So they were way off. And I, I just, I do know that I'm a very efficient person. There are probably some things about you that are different from the norm, right? Whether you think they're good, bad, a mix of both, depending on the situation, they don't know you. And when someone tells you, especially someone who literally doesn't know you, but even, even, even someone who knows you a little bit, they don't know what you're capable of. So if you feel like you could do something and someone else says, no, you can't, you're probably right. And you should probably try it. Third thing I learned from all that is mistakes do not define your identity. So when you, my mistake was that I was disorganized, right? Essentially that's, I, I overworked myself, yes, but I, for most of my life, most of my academic career, I have not been a very organized person. I, I've just kind of done things sporadically. I've not been a big like list maker or or checklist person. I just I just go. I just do. And for a lot of my life that worked until like these major setbacks. And those were the moments that made me realize I am not organized enough. Now when you hit a moment like that where something that you've been doing, a way you've been living or a trait that you've defined yourself by really just like crushes you. You essentially have two branching paths before you. Path A is 
I can align with this definition I have of myself. I am disorganized and it's finally really screwed things up for me. You can accept it. You can integrate it into your identity and you can move forward with that in your core as part of your identity. Or you can say, this is a behavior I have displayed up to this point in my life. And I see what it has cost me. And I am going to change my behavior so that this is no longer true of me. I am a very organized person now. And the experiences that I've told you about today are a huge part of the reason why. Because those were awful. And I don't ever want to go through anything like that again as long as I live. So I am meticulous now. I, I have like folders and subfolders on my laptop for all of my businesses. I, I have recurring to-do list and calendar. I don't, like I've, I've, I've gone full circle. I, I'm, I've gone from being one of the least organized people that you would have ever met to one of the most organized people that you will ever meet. And it's because I chose to let those mistakes teach me something that I needed to change rather than define something for me that I already was. You don't have to accept who you have been. And you have to accept that it has been true, but you don't have to accept that it will continue to be true. So when you reach those points in your life where you're like, I have been like, like something terrible is happening because of me. Like this was my fault. I created this. I made this happen. I would, cons I would strongly encourage you not to make that a part of your identity. Make it a part of your story, but do not make it a part of your identity. And let that part of your story be the reason to change your identity. And you change your identity by changing your behavior. Organization or disorganization is a label we would put on someone based on their behaviors. If someone lives and behaves in a disorganized manner, as I had been for the first 30 years of my life, you would call me disorganized and you would be correct. But I changed that behavior. I changed to an organ to being an organized person. And because I changed that behavior, I changed my character trait. I now am an organized person. You don't have to accept the labels that you place on yourself or that other people place on you, even if they accurately describe the behavior leading up to that point, because you can use that pain to take the second path and change the behavior. And the last thing that I learned from this, and this one I want to be super careful with, because this, what I'm about to say to you is adjacent to toxic positivity and silver lining pain. And I know that, but I think I can capture it a little bit differently. Setbacks can be springboards. Now, if you had told me that the day I was going through this, I'd have probably told you you're my least favorite person in the world. I probably wouldn't have said it that way because I spoke differently when I was in my 20s. This, this, is, this is one of the hardest things that ever happened to me as an adult. You know, adolescence is a whole other ballgame. But this was a nightmare for me. But the thing is, that that extra year that I got because my internship got delayed because of my mistake, I used that year to build up clinical experience in an intensive outpatient program. And that actually, having that work experience allowed me to become a facilitator and a lead therapist of an intensive outpatient program while I was still an intern, which is absolutely unheard of. And so I was able to take what initially looked like just this 
awful setback, this horrible experience, and gather experience and skills from that period of time that catapulted me forward once I once I completed all the benchmarks that had to come, basically. Once I actually finished my education, got my degree, got my license and started my career, I was basically turbocharged at this point, partially because of skills I developed, partially because of frustration from all this stuff that happened and being behind. But I went from being behind most people to like career-wise, realistically, probably being ahead of most people in an incredibly short period of time because I was able to use the pain that I had experienced from this wisely. I don't think we can always do that. That's why I said setbacks can be springboards, not setbacks are springboards. Sometimes things are just awful. And I don't necessarily think that there's always something great that's going to come from that in the future. I also don't think it's automatic. Like just because you go through something terrible doesn't guarantee that that's going to turn into something good in the future. But sometimes we can make something terrible into something great. It has a lot to do with your thought process and your decision-making process and the story you tell yourself about what has happened. So at least in that particular case, as I look back on it now, I never in a million years thought I'd say this, but I think it was a good thing that I went through that. I think that those experiences needed to happen to me for a number of reasons. And, and I think I'm even grateful that they did. I, this is probably this whole thing is is probably the most embarrassing thing I've ever said on this channel. I mean, I'm obviously not proud of what I did, especially since I, I basically screwed up twice, but it put me where I needed to be because of how I handled it. And I think that a lot of the time we can do that if we don't allow ourselves to just get too caught up in the story about what these experiences mean and what they're going to mean in the future. So I hope that me sharing those experiences with you today was meaningful to you, whether it's the less, you know, those are the lessons I learned. Maybe you're listening to this story and you came away with a completely different lesson. That's great. And if nothing else, I've gathered from the comments that you guys leave me that a lot of you really look up to me. Um, and that's flattering, but I, I also want you to know, like, I am a very fallible human being. And I know that at this phase in my life with the things I'm doing, I, I probably look pretty polished and, and together. Um, and that's not necessarily untrue. I think I am now, but I haven't always been. And, and at many points in my life, you would have seen me on the complete opposite end of a lot of the spectrums that I look like I'm on right now. So... If I'm somebody you look up to, I hope that knowing some of what I've been through, not that this was, you know, a trauma or anything like that, but it sucked. It really did. So I hope that knowing that about me just helps you see things a little bit differently and, and maybe helps you see that whatever circumstances you're facing, whatever mistakes you've made, whatever stuff you've screwed up, it doesn't have to define you. It doesn't have to be a permanent black mark on your life. You may even be able to use it to do some pretty awesome stuff someday. I believe in you. I think you can do that. Take care. I'll talk to you next time.